Clinton Live. Scuba Obsessed's weekly podcast. We talk about all things scuba diving from cool new gear, places to dive, and scuba news. Scuba Obsessed episode 148 was recorded live January 31st, 2013. Welcome back to Scuba Obsessed. I'm Darren Jilson, and we are getting a lot of snow. Not much ice, but we have some snow. So before we get going, I'd like to welcome my co-host for this week. We have Mac, our dive mentor. How are you doing today, Mac? I'm very nice. Just too warm in my house. Excellent. And we also have almost half a gym. How are you doing today, Jim? I'm doing pretty good, all things considered. Excellent. So that that, that had the you you had some work done, I guess. Yeah, had okay. a little carpal done, so I'm a bit slow on the uh, keyboard tonight. So that, but that's kind of like an upgrade, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So I just. Uh, Take a little time to heal. So when is your return to water date? Do they give you one? Uh, not officially, but after about two weeks when the wound healed pretty well, I should be able to get in. Well, that's good. So they're, they're not going to keep you out too long. Uh, I certainly hope And then, uh, well, we'll talk about that later, uh, the diving conditions. But I'd like to thank everybody who's gone into the chat room. We have uh, people from all over the world. We've got Tara who's come and joined us, the dive mistress. We've got Brian, Scuba Doc, Big Stig, Steve. So it's getting in there. If you're missing out on the chat room, you you need to come and join us. And what else are you going to do on a night like tonight? It's nasty out up here. So the first article, let's see, make sure it's the first article that, that we have up in the show notes. I take I, we we spend so much time going through these show notes that uh, everything just runs so super smooth. Okay, first one up is heroism in the face of tragedy. Not quite a scuba diving story, but uh, police and firefighters are hailing Marco Island teenager Logan Gross after he saved the life of his best friend who jumped in the water at Mackle Park uh, to try and save a middle-aged Connecticut man from drowning. Police said the 61-year-old Dean fell of uh, Kingston, Connecticut, was pronounced dead after being pulled from the lake late Monday afternoon airlifted to the regional hospital. File had previously lived on Marco Island and was uh, in the city visiting Marco's friends, a police statement said. Uh, Logan Gross's rescue of his friend was all the more courageous because Gross had been wearing a medical support boot after injuring his leg in a soccer game. Gross 14 attributed scuba and freediving training to successful rescue of his young friend. The older man had entered the chilly water and lake to retrieve a section of a radio-controlled boat he was operating that had come loose. He was later found by rescue personnel and airlifted out of the area, apparently not surfacing for about a half an hour. Uh, both the, the youths were 7th grade students at the uh, Charter Middle School and were hanging out in the lake Monday afternoon after school. Gross said that uh, we were playing on a Kindle Fire on my iPhone. We w- then went down to the lake. We were watching uh, a family friend of Tyler's testing out a remote-controlled boat said the piece of boat fell off. The man wanted to find a piece, so he emptied his pockets, took off his shoes and shirt, and entered the water. I asked Tyler if the man was a good swimmer. He said he was. He swims all the time. Uh, Gross noticed the man's head flopping a bit in the water and became worried he was drowning. He told Melton what he thought. Tyler went in, maybe 20 feet from him, but then he started turning pale and asked me for help. I pulled off my boot, just ran in and dove in. So I guess the reason what brought that one to my attention was uh, scuba diving. You know, getting those water skills certainly helps. Sound like a typical rescue diver move. Get on your back. Let me tow you in. So good work, Gross. And then we go from uh, underwater rescue to uh, self-rescue techniques for outdoor enthusiasts. Someday we'll get a faster internet. So this one's uh, from a community on Lake Erie. They said it's a really water-oriented community, so this time of year... A lot of people go out ice fishing, snow skiing, just walking around, checking things out. So the uh, Sheriff's Department scuba team was conducting some training to let people know what it would be like and what it takes to have some method of self-rescue. Demonstrators 
told those in attendance the importance of wearing proper clothing, including personal flotation device. They also spoke to the public wearing spikes on ropes around your neck to use as a traction to help pull yourself up out of the water. They also showed demonstrations with techniques uh, to help others without pulling yourself in. They said, we work around the ice every day as part of our job, so it's just find it important to refresh our training and skills or rescue somebody in the event that somebody does fall in the water. And this is a assistant dock master. And Mac, I was thinking of, of you at first when I came across this. I thought maybe it was an article that you had posted. Not this <laughs> Yeah. But all the items they talk about um, on our ice sides, we normally have them out there, which is having the cleats to put on your shoes. And we've actually got a set that you can wear when you got your fins on, so you're not going to slip on the ice. The aspect of the spikes on the rope, we have those for the club also. Now, what is the spikes on the rope that they're referring to? Now, remember, the all it does is look like two wooden handles that I can put my hands on. There's spikes in them. Now, connecting line from one to the next, so I can just down my neck. So if I were to fall in, if you've got your gloves on, each on slippery ice, trying to get up, you can't get a purchase. You take that from around your neck, you have spikes in your hand, then you can jam them into the uh, ice, get yourself a purchase, so you can pull yourself out. Okay. And the one we always carry club is that throw bag, and that's always great because if the guy got a rope, you can put it around his body, we can yank his body out. Yes. Another very simple tool that we made up is a piece of three-quarter inch pipe and formed a T about three feet long and two feet on each side, and you can just drill this cut-out groove in the very end of it. You can drill a very small hole in, down into the ice so the pipe drops down with the T on the top, and it makes for a great ice tanker right at the surface level. Yeah, very true. Next one is uh, talking about a Michigan Harbor dredging concerns. Governor Rick Snyder's recognition on uh, Michigan Harbors need some dredging. Uh, State Representative Greg McMaster, who has been working to secure dredging funds for the past two years, he said the this week uh, he followed up by sending a letter to the governor's office to provide any information or assistance he could as an executive policy is discussed for dredging. At a press conference Friday, Snyder said extremely low lake levels can be critical impact on Michigan from tourism opportunities, normal business and commerce issue. Uh, he sponsored a House bill. 4106 to allow Michigan Natural Resources Trust Funds to consider harbor maintenance and dredging projects as eligible recreational opportunities for grant funding. The dropping of lake levels and the need for dredging has become a major priority in recent years, and I'm happy to see the governor addressing the issue. And then here's here's what caught my attention. He says, as a scuba diver, I've personally witnessed the impact of receding lake levels of all had in our waterways and need to dredge to maintain a commercial uh, dredge to maintain our commerce and tourism industries. It's interesting because the federal government, Corps of Engineers, will fund dredging of commercial ports, but recreational ports um, they don't fund. And you could get some real problems. Uh, South Haven had a goal right at the mouth of their river last year that was less than six feet deep. Uh, so, you know, decent sized sailboats couldn't make it in and out. No, oh, yeah, six, six feet's not nearly deep enough. No, it's it, not. And South Haven actually has some uh, large yachts in there. Yeah, they do. But uh, there were some real problems getting boats in and out. I know uh, over the Chicago side, they've had problems there with some of the places they normally haul boats out were too shallow. They couldn't haul the larger boats out, so they had to come over to the east side of the lake where there had been some dredging done. So it's, uh, it's a real issue for the Great Lakes right now. Those articles in our paper uh, last week and a week before, and here is everybody's concerns. Now, did you hear anything uh, beyond that information that you provided them? I've not got any other feedback other than the uh, note of appreciation from the city manager. They will use those some of their presentations. If I had a better way, I'd have probably put that on either for this the people who use St. Joe Harbor have a, a real good idea of what they're talking about, but I'm not that technically smart enough to be able to figure out how to put that on somewhere like that. Well, you just, what you just need to do is throw it in the, throw it as a post on the Mud Club site, and then uh, you can get you put a link 
Well, I'll work with you on that. I'll put that on for them. Yeah. yeah, we can do that. Actually, or even do it as almost as a uh, make another section in there. Just talk about the rivers. Yeah, and we do have a river section in there. Yeah. Well, we go from dredging a rivers to uh, a different type of uh, water source. They say, what's in your water? City of Deadwood is hiring scuba divers to clean their water tanks. Uh, Deadwood City Commission has approved $2,199 uh, for the cost estimate proposal from Midco Diving and Marine Services to clean the 345,000-gallon uh, Pulma tank and a 400,000-gallon Deadwood Hill water tank using scuba divers. They said as part of their annual cleaning it takes place. We do it every year. We've been diving in the tanks the last three or four years now. That way we don't have to empty the tanks and draw it down. It's just like cleaning a swimming pool. It's inspected and cleaned without us having to empty the tank. We actually have six tanks. We try to do two per year on three to four year rotation. Tanks are maintained at a chilly 42 degrees temperature and is cleaned by licensed scuba divers specially trained in cleaning of tanks looking for any potential problems. They use fully uh, they, they fully disinfect the diver's equipment in his suit. It is the most sanitary way to do it. There's absolutely no opportunity for bacteria to enter the tank while they're inspecting it. That's got to be a good dive, wouldn't you say? Imagine that. They've got to have pretty good light. And I'd be curious to the depth. Yeah, the, the tank they show there in the photo, that's a pretty deep tank. I mean, you could get some pressure going. They said the dive operation is fully insured for commercial diving operations. They said that the minimum acceptable dive crew is three qualified divers. He says not all firm firms are complying with this mandate and continue to use two person dive crews or unqualified personnel. The Puma tank is 37 and a half feet high and 42 feet in diameter, and the other one is 19 high and 70 feet. So not too bad, 37 feet. I mean, you can get some work time in before you start going to deco. Yeah, 37. Yeah, you're in good shape there. Yeah, sounds like some good nitrox steps. Wouldn't hurt. Said the price of purchasing the tank alone is about three hundred thousand dollars. That seems kind of cheap, doesn't it? Maybe because they're just tanks instead of what we've got around here, where they're the the towers. Yeah, it sounds like more more like a tank price than a tower price. Yeah, because if you look in the photo, they show a photo a picture of the tank, and they they can use their landscape to benefit them. So they put the tanks up on the mountains and and let gravity do its thing. So another opportunity if you love the scuba dive. Well, did you notice the requirements for that? As far as? Each team member has been through driver training at an accredited commercial dive school, whole ADC contractor international commercial diving certificates, which identify their competency and qualifications. They are current first aid and CPR trained, which is almost a requirement now for any of them. You have to have an annual medical to make sure they are fit enough to define, uh, perform their task. Their air purity of their breathing source got to be done every six months. Uh, so there's quite a few little items there when commercial versus uh, Joe, your local scuba diver. But not not too bad. I mean, you kind of, whenever you get into anything where it's commercial, there's always that extra level of liability. Well, like I said, it's compl uh, uh, compliance with the OSHA requirements. Next up is scientists using holiday f photos to identify whale sharks. They said uh, photos could help scientists track the movements of giant endangered sharks living in the waters of the Indian Ocean. A new study led by researchers from Imperial College in London said it's the first to show that these publicly sourced photographs are suitable for use in conservation work. Tourists diving and snorkeling in the Maldives frequently take underwater photos of the whale shark. They say that they hope to use a photographic resource to help them trace the shark's life history relationships and geographic distribution. They said that uh, they can identify the sharks by distinctive patterns of spots located directly behind the gills. The unique marking serves as a fingerprint, which then be scanned by a computer program to tell the animals apart. The study looked at hundreds of images taken in the public that were downloaded from image-sharing sites such as Flickr and YouTube. Individual whale sharks, whale sharks could be successfully identified 85% of the cases. And they said that it was 100% when the photos were taken by researchers. They're hoping that uh, data can come from tourism over the following years and further across the archipelago. Arch archipelago. <laughs> we'll be able to build our understanding of the Maldives population and monitor its status closely. Uh, dive ministers is saying that there's uh, somebody in New Zealand that's doing a similar things with 
orcas. And then uh, we've got the same thing going on in Florida with manatees. So not necessarily a new idea they've got. Gee, Mac, we could do Come that on, at the uh, River. With that. What's that, Mac? Our biggest picture is what you can't do. And I'm trying to figure out if this is something new. They have a Bimini Bull Run shark dive experience. They said uh, the, Bim- the Bimini Big Game Club Resort and Marina announced plans Monday for a one-day guaranteed shark encounter experience that will help fund regional shark tagging and conservation efforts through a partnership with Shark Free Marina's initiative. So it's a first in the global shark diving industry, providing divers and non-divers with a close-up uh, experience to and specially designed cage system attached directly to the docks. They said the system's going to employ hookah air systems allowing non-certified divers experience opportunity in addition to those certified divers who prefer to scuba. They said you can fly in from South Florida, check into your hotel room, be in a shark cage all in less than an hour. Now that seemed to make sense. Is it just because they're not? What's that, Mac? Anything make a buck. Yeah. All I can see is that poor guy down there who's a non-diver or even a diver gets a little freaked. Uh-huh. And with a hooker, where's he going to go? <laughs> <laughs> well, you can follow the line back up, I guess. Well, I'm sure that cage has a ceiling. Seems like yeah. the liability would be quite high there for non-divers at the least. Mm-hmm. But that seems to be the tendency between uh, hookah and snuba and some of these other tethered non-diving experiences. They seem to be getting popular. What got me was the fact that they were saying you could fly in and then instantly go underwater. Is that just because they're not going that deep? Oh, you can bet they're not. I bet they're not going 10 feet deep because, one, their ears, I think, would be a big one. Plus, their downtime can be breathing like a big horse if you're not a trained diver. And even if you are, you get a couple of sharks sitting near you, that's going to increase breathing rate a little bit. Mm-hmm. You don't want to out-breathe it. I'm sure they tell them to keep their hands inside the cage. Yeah. <laughs> At least you hope so. Yeah. They won't do it more than twice. Yeah. <laughs> well, they, they they probably have the package, you know, for you can with fingers and without. Lectures on. Yeah, Tara is saying you can you can dive straight after flying without hassle. It's going from flying straight after diving. That's a problem. Yeah, I I know after diving it was a problem, but I also thought there was something where it really wasn't recommended after. Yeah, I knew it wasn't quite the 24 hours. It just seemed like there was, you know, best practices to wait a little bit of time. Next up, we have skulls found in Mexico may have belonged to human sacrifice victims. Archaeologists have unearthed a trove of skulls in Mexico that once belonged to human Victims, the skulls date between 600 A.D. and 850 A.D. and may shatter existing notions about ancient cultures of the area. This was published in a January issue of the Journal of Latin American Antiquity. They said that was an otherwise empty field that had once held a vast lake, but it was miles from the nearest major city of the day. And this is from uh, Christopher Moorhart, an archaeologist at Georgia State University. It's absolutely remarkable to think that there's little... Nothing on the landscape having potential evidence of the largest mass human sacrifice in ancient Mesoamerica. Uh, the artifacts were found uh, by scuba divers. Now, that looks like some good grubbing, wouldn't you say, Mac? Well, with 150 skulls that they found, so the chances of being able to find one sounds pretty good. And some of the skulls were 1,100 years old, so they were mostly men. Got to wonder if they were prisoners or sacrifices. I'm not sure. I, I've heard theories going both ways. Are those the pictures at the bottom of uh, burying them afterwards, or is that something different? I think that's uh, something else. Yeah, one is Mayan tombs being found. So I think it's 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 related but different. Because archaeologists on Earth, Aztec, Mexico. Okay, yeah, that one's. Interesting. They're going to get you one way or another. And then even though we don't have ice here, somebody does. Diving in the Antarctic, uh, time capsule filled with primordial life. Looks like Lake 16. I don't, I don't remember Lake 16 being quite that blue. 
Maybe it's just a filter they're using. So he goes in to describe his experience, you know, kind of like we all did with our first dice dive of going in under the under the water. He said, "It's a ten foot hole you had to cut." Well, they said they had a ten foot hole. I dropped to through below ten foot of ice cover. Wow. Yeah, we we I don't think we've had to do ten feet of ice. Nah, we put our crane up to pull my butt up that last ten feet. We're lucky if we get ten inches of ice. Yeah. Yeah. So the light was attenuated so that at any depth it was the same color at 40 feet as the ocean has at 130 feet. Okay, that makes sense. From enter, I thought he was going to say it was just as late at 130 as 40, but he's saying the opposite, that 130 feet in the ocean is 40 feet there. So that must be like 6 feet in, in Lake 16. <laughs> he said once his eyes got adjusted light, there was no need for a flashlight, which, you know, we've experienced that. Uh, he said it was calm said uh, there are microbial communities in the lake intersea that are so dense that they form microbial mats and structures large enough for the naked eye to see. So that's what he was doing there, was looking at all the, the organisms that were living in the bottom. So very cool. I can't believe, though, they've done a lot of bailout of some type. But he didn't have a bailout, he said? Well, I'm just look, listening or reviewing some of the, the verbiage. And he did not give an indication that he had a backup. Yeah, he may not have. He didn't sound like that experienced of a diver. But that's hard to tell, you know, if they're just taking a little... Uh, Poetic license? Yeah. yeah. So that does it for Scuba News. We have a, a few other follow-up articles here. We have uh, some potentially cool... I call this cool scuba gear. Paste this one in the chat room. So what do you think about this for a dive boat? Not much of a sailor, Jim would like it. Yeah, so this is the uh, Barracuda, a 58-meter yacht. Uh, it's being drawn up by a uh, someone who has some money in Turkey, reminiscent 1940s and 1950s designs, but uh, just an expansive boat, modern, and, and they go on. It's, a, it's really a marketing piece by the company who did the design. You know, who knows if they ever get a chance to build it, but this is just... Gigantic. I'll say. So it can do in uh, light to moderate wind strengths, it can do about 25 knots. The yacht will use a large furrowing Genoa and wind strength up to 40 knots. The yacht will be self tacking, inner furling stay sail, acting like a storm jib if required. Yeah. A little fancier than the sailboats I used to. I've never seen one that has fold down platforms on the side of the hull. Do you notice the picture on that? Yeah, if you click on the photo, it will you can go in and get a good peek of it. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's uh, a little bit of deck space. Did that say if it had an auxiliary engine? Oh, sure it would. Yeah. I can't believe it would. You almost have to to be able to get in the rivers and stuff. It's got a couple dinghies in it. If you look at that second My photo. My a lot of dinghies in it. Yeah. <laughs> nice and shiny. Expensive. So, uh. Yeah, so far they haven't built one, so you can be the first. And then photo of the week. This looks like somebody had a handy snack here. This one, uh, scuba diver captures underwater shots of a seal snacking on a live octopus. It says, uh, you can see the seal snacking on rubbery appendages, as the footage shows. I know they ate the octopus. Um, I wasn't aware they did either, but I, I'm kind of thinking that whatever you can get, it almost looks like he's playing with it in the photos. But that was quite unusual seeing this. Well, also, I'm they're near some sort of pier, and I'm just surprised at the visibility. Yeah, isn't that awesome? That is, that is just incredible. So they're saying that the seals typically run from 1 meters to 3 meters long, weigh up to 700 pounds, and can live up to 30 years. Uh, they're still endangered. They haven't recovered from extensive hunting. And they said that they are pressured by overfishing. Their diet is mainly crustaceans. Oh, over here he just said eating fish, squid, octopus, and birds and tiny shrimp-like krill. I didn't know they did that. No, I, I didn't, didn't even think of birds. Well, if they're sitting on the top, I just go up there and scoop them real quick. Yeah. Silent and deadly. That would be. So oh, nice calamari. Shot. Yeah, calamari from the Very source. Nice shot. So that's the photos of the week. Now here for a video. And this one could have been uh, 
some potentially cool scuba gear as well. So it's it's a two-minute video. The best part of the video is there about a minute in. Oh, hey, beautiful day there. So at first you can't figure out what it is you're looking at. Well, yeah, first I was going to say that. <laughs> Actually, at first you're, you're thinking he's shooting the other boat with the women in, in it, and then he backs out, and you, it looks like a van. It's like you can't a tell if it's a van or a boat. Is that Lake Mead or something? Let's see, do they say in it where they're at? No, I just think that looks sort of like Lake Mead. It could be. I'm trying to see if they... I want to say access to boats from the end. Yeah, one of the comments they, they talk about that, uh, that the boat used to be in uh, Orange County, California. Pretty freaking cool. Yeah. Um, and then at one minute and 30 seconds, that's where all the magic happens. <laughs> Look at that, you got some money, too. So, Jim, did you get a chance to see that? Oh, yeah. Just typing a message in the chat room. I, I agree with you, Brian, that somebody had to have spent a little bit of money on that. So I'll have a link to that video in the show notes so that you can take a look at it. Oh, yeah, I did see that one. That is some boat. It, it's very cool, but it seems like a lot of work. <laughs> did you, yeah. Did you see the one I just gave you? Uh, I just well, it's probably it a combination. You know, it's a combination boat and motorhome. All of I've got it uh, going now. Wow, good loud soundtrack. Is this safe That's to a space in the chat room? It's more like we'll see you around here. God, it's so so loud I couldn't hear you, Mac. What was that? I was gonna say, not I can see you around here, but I bet that guy's gonna be pissed. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think the four wheel drive is gonna help them out one darn bit. No. Oh, no, oh, that is other, uh, this is so I'm trying to figure out what it is. It could they had to keep getting back deeper and deeper to get it out of the water? Yeah, the they get the car out of the water. <laughs> oh man. Wow. Yeah, so that that's what it would be I like. Can't uh, imagine that. So I could see you know, that actually put the boat back on the trailers so they don't have to uh fight with it. Yeah, I, I could see that happening in uh Bridgman at Waco. Yeah, yes, Waco that's exactly what I was thinking about. You yeah. send this out there. Yeah. So if you go, I'm I, I'm just fast forwarding. I'm at six minutes, and they've got a tractor, a pickup truck, a pickup truck, and the blazer. I think at this point it makes more sense to just sink the boat and forget about it. Oh my God! Fast forward and get to where you're saying. Yeah, it's like they just keep adding more vehicles to it. It's like the wow. <laughs> You have somebody in the chat room. It's when rednecks win the lottery. They <laughs> <laughs> sure got a good one. Oh, certainly is. So it took a little bit of scraping to get that up. But I feel like I've been running around like crazy. Now, did anybody happen to get any diving in this last week? Not I. No. no I'm sorry to say I did not. No, I didn't either. I was tempted to bring my gear. And I actually, I think we could have had an ice dive this last weekend. We might have had one last week, correct. Uh, we did have one planned for tomorrow, for Saturday. And I think you did get the email that we're getting water on top of the, the ice. It probably would not be a good idea. Yeah, I, I don't, I'm not a big fan of the, the, the sandwiched ice with water in between. But we're, we're actually getting a storm tonight. I mean, we, we talked about that at the beginning of the show, but... They sent my kids home from school a little over an hour early today, and they said, prepare for a snow day tomorrow, which is kind of unusual. It's almost like they've given up. Chat room's talking about they did some pool dives. Excellent. Well, that's good. I mean, that, that counts. One, we'll, we'll, two, we'll let three. It. Three people in the pool, yeah. Yeah, excellent. Yeah, I, I, I didn't get a chance. I was camping. Went camping yeah, with we'd my son. Yeah, we to hear about your winter camping trip. Yeah, it was it was chilly. And it was one of those I didn't think that we were actually going to end up camping. The scoutmaster was kind of indicating that he was hoping that there wasn't going to be any camping. Uh, what, what what it is, it's kind of uh, an event where the scouts get to learn different winter skills. Uh, they go to different stations throughout the, uh, the camp. Uh, the first one was a simulated uh, person falling through the ice and pulling them out, you know, what kind of techniques they go. 
they did have one where they were preparing for an avalanche to come and they had to get a sled up in a tree. And one of the things they do to prepare for this, uh, that's a Klondike event, is they actually built a traditional sled. So they took tree limbs and branches and shaved them down and drilled holes. And I'll, put, I'll get some photos so everybody can take a look to get a little bit better idea of what it is. But there was one spot where they had to get the sled five feet in the air and they actually uh, stuck it up in a tree. So they were able to do that. Uh, they had a simulated Yeti attack. <laughs> and then uh, I missed the, the last part of the day, but they did actually have a fire, fire department there that was doing some uh, actual uh, showing up what can happen in the ice. And uh, they got out in the ice and fell through <laughs> doing the, the training. So luckily they were in dry suits. And then to complete the, the weekend, you have to do 24 hours, and it has to be camping and sleeping in a tent. So I pitched a tent and camped. And it got down to about 12 degrees. And I have to say, the last time I did anything like that had to have been like 1984 or or earlier. So, is that 30 years, almost 30 years ago? Isn't it amazing what you do for your kids? Yeah. Well, I was planning on not going. You know, they, had, they had enough volunteers. And I told my wife, she asked me if I was going. I said, oh, I think they got enough. And she goes, no, I think you're going. So. <laughs> Should I plan? I'm, I'm guessing. Yeah, you know, she she made it sound like you know he he needed some watching. Of all the scouts, he did pretty good. There's two or three that uh, weren't in the best of spirits at the end of the weekend. Um, it's it's hard to it's good practice. It tells them what they need to do to prepare to survive in cold conditions. And uh, you, you know, first technique is you got to stay warm, and then you also have to stay dry because if you don't stay dry, you can't stay warm. Yep. And uh, that's that's what most of them failed to do. They either didn't have the right clothing. And you want to have wool socks, you use uh, cotton or nylon. They just, you can't make all that time and you have to ha- change quite often. It's another mistake people make is that they stay in the same clothes they've been sweating in all day and don't realize that that's going to make them colder. And then once people get cold, which was very evident, their thinking isn't quite right. Yeah, once you get cold, it's very hard to get warm again. Yeah, and you, you can give them any suggestion in the world and they do not want to do it. So a good learning experience for them, and there's going to be another camping uh, trip if, if provided winter lasts long enough, probably in a month. So they need to do a little yeah, bit I'll more you, to get some of their badges. Those are great lessons, especially if you take those sailing or out in the open water. Uh, sailing in particular, where you know you're you're probably going to get wet when you're sailing, and if uh, you get cold, you get wet, you'll get cold. You get cold, you're going to be miserable in a sailboat. So it's a, a great lesson learned, you know, middle of the winter that can come out to the middle of the summer if you're out on the big lake. Yeah. yeah and it, it can be. You can have problems in the summer. You get that lake churned up enough and you get enough exposure. Okay. So that, that, was, that was my experience for the, for the last weekend. Uh, and I don't, then we don't have any diving plan for this weekend, do we? It, it sounds like there's a preserve meeting. There is a Southwest Michigan underwater preserve meeting in Holland Saturday morning. We're going to do a breakfast meeting up there, try to get some plans going for the summer season. So if you're in the area and would like to join us, uh, drop me a line or meet us at the Denny's in Holland at eight o'clock on Saturday. Excellent. Well, that's a nice early meeting. Gives you, you still have some day left over when that's over with. Yep, go up there, have breakfast, get in and out, probably be done between 9 and 10, and still have the rest of the day to do what you want to. Excellent. Well, we had a couple topics. Uh, one was the top five things you don't want to see scuba. And we'll have a link to this. It, for some reason, the link wasn't working to me, and thanks to Tara for sending us the the article so that we can actually view it. Were you guys? Did you guys see the email? Yep. Okay. So, and he, he was kind of doing this tongue in, tongue in cheek. So he had five items, and uh, his and let's see, we want to give the proper credit here for this is IR Diver, and the, the first one was other divers is is what you don't want to see, and and I think I have to disagree with them right right off the bat. I mean, I understand what he's saying. But I like other divers. Isn't isn't that the the best part of diving is a social part? Yeah, when you have your soup and coffee afterwards from the cold dives in the river. Yeah, yeah. So 
And some of the best video shot is video of other divers, uh, you know, especially with divers in foreground and shipwreck and background. Yeah, yeah, you don't you don't get any sense of scale without it. Plus, who's going to take my photo if there aren't other divers? So now may, maybe I might qualify that. And at the at the end of this, we'll we'll go and put in what what we don't want to see when we're diving. And then the other one, I I do have to agree with them on this. I have no desire to see a dead body. Yeah, I, I don't think uh, any time above water or underwater that is something you want to see. And before, you know, as a kid in the in swimming in country lakes and ponds, I was always convinced that's what I was going to find. That spot at the end of your toes where the water's too dark to see but your feet are down there, I was always convinced I was going to bump into a body. And then he says the kraken. So uh, I'm assuming that's a giant squid-like creature. Uh, you know, I, I might like to see that provided it didn't get me. So I would like to qualify that. I would say that as long as the Kraken didn't eat me, I'd be okay with it. But As long as it kept its distance? Yeah. And then he mentioned uh, uh, some buddy of his that you'll, you'll have to read his, his routine in the, in the article. <laughs> and then five, he says a cave diver because if he sees a cave diver, that means he's in a cave and he doesn't want to be in a cave. So do we have any items that we would add to that list? Something that we don't want to see? Uh, I don't like seeing nets. Nothing sends a chill up my spine as being underwater is seeing a big net just kind of floating there. And I'm not talking about a little tiny fishing net. I'm I'm talking about a big trawler net. Yeah, they they uh, give you a little bit of a pucker factor. Yeah. Uh, another thing I I'm, don't want I don't ahead. want to see any bones. As bones. We're digging a max wreck, no bones. Yeah, yeah. I know there's potential there that that could happen and I'm I'm hoping that whoever it was got found another way and isn't still on there so I agree. Mac, you have anything that you don't like to see? I don't like to be in dark water and go and go bump. Oh. <laughs> you know that that's usually when you you and I are grubbing in Pawpaw Lake that's what happens. My mind runs away with me when I uh bump well, into something. Bump- Bump I meant like when I'm on in the river, when on the outside, when I started to come up a little bit, I was underground because the trees, remember, it had hollowed out. So yeah. I actually was where I really didn't want to be. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. And the other bump, that, when I don't, you're there and I bumped up and yes, like, what was that? <laughs> yeah, because my mind always assumes it's the worst, ugliest, dangerous thing possible. No, or a dead or a body. Or a dead body. Uh, another thing I don't like is large cable, you know, like that thick cable. Like, I think Havana has some cable on it, doesn't it? Yeah, it That's does. Good. Lots of cable, Rudy. Yeah, that just doesn't, you know, I guess I, I want to see it before I get to it. Yeah. But I'm not a big fan of, of cable. Monofilament bothers me because you never know how strong it is or how badly you're tangled up until it's too late. Yeah, I can see that. I'm so far have been fortunate with it. I haven't had so much on, you know, a few times I've had to get the knife out, but yeah, that's, yes, yeah, especially a big mass of it. Isn't any fun. Yeah. When it gets wrapped around the, uh, the yoke of the regulator area, that that's the hardest spot because it's hard to see. You can't get to it. You can't reach it. Basically, if somebody doesn't cut it off for you, you got to duff your ear and cut it off yourself. Yeah. Uh, the, the other thing is, and it shouldn't bother me, but whenever we come up and there's a DNR boat right there. <laughs> I'm glad you said that instead of me. <laughs> you know, I know we they're doing We don't have anything to worry about except. No, we don't, but it's box. just the, they're, they're not there to be your friend and see how the diving is. It, it's like they're there to try and catch you in something. So, yeah. so uh, and, and we've bumped into them, I think it's been three different times where uh, we've, we've run into them. They don't seem to pay much attention to the diver down flag. Well, actually, the... They're coming in to do an inspection anyway. Yeah, the the, the two times that, uh, like, the, the, we had we did one, and it was Indiana. Uh, we had just, well, what we had done that time, and, and we covered this in a previous episode, is we, we had actually hooked onto the wreck, and then we were getting geared up, and, and Bob had forgotten his dry suit. So we decided, you know what, you know, Bob hauls the boat down there. He's the captain. 
we're not going to let him go and not be able to dive. So he said, okay, we'll, we'll pull up the anchor and uh, go in. Well, he had the anchor so caught on the wreck, we had to dive down for it. So Jim got in the water, Jim Kleeman, uh, we put the dive flag up. He, he goes down onto the wreck, untangles the anchor, comes up, and he's swimming alongside the boat. And then we put the dive flag down since he was up. Well, then the DNR came over and then asked us where the dive flag was. <laughs> so Bob had to prove that he had a dive flag and answer the questions. And, you know, they're asking, you know, what wreck you on? What are you doing? You got anything? And then after, you know, they're 10 or 15 minutes and they're done interrogating you, then they're, then they're friendly and they're chatting up and telling us where all the good wrecks were. So, you know, it always ends up being pretty good. And then the other time was on, oh, we were on the was it Ann Arbor 5 or the Barge and Crane. Were you there, Mac, when they did that? No, I wasn't. I missed that opportunity. Yeah, and we had the tag lines down. So, you know, they're asking, you know, what's on the line? You know, what are you doing? So and that was Michigan. But, yeah, that's, that's somebody else who I, I don't care to bump into. Yeah. Do you like number six? Well, well I, I didn't. He said five. I didn't see there was six. Snakes? Ah, snakes don't snakes. I'm not crazy about like that. Snakes. I've had that experience before. In, you know, I, I think yeah, I have I to I don't agree. like snakes on the ground or in the water, so. Yeah. I, I think I have to agree with uh, Cheese Fry, Dave Faulkner, is that yeah. turtles. Now, turtles don't bother me, but I don't want to find one either. You know, when I'm <laughs> mudding around and putting my finger in stuff, I don't want something to decide it needs to prune the end off. Talking about the turtles, you know, there's one up going to be at the uh, Curious Kids Museum. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's been here before. He's about 100 and something years old. He's, I think, I keep thinking it's three or 400 pounds he weighs. Wow. And it's uh, the largest alligator snapper they've got in captivity. So if you want to see a big dinosaur-looking animal, that Ann Barron does have some. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's some, there's some big turtles out there. But, yeah, that's something I, I'm not really too crazy to go find either. Now, this guy is much, much bigger than manhole covers. Yeah, that's, yeah. So, yeah basically, anything I, my, my fingers are going to get into and get chopped on, I'm, I'm not real real excited about. That's why I like my stainless steel pods. Yeah, that that is an advantage. I'm fortunate. I'm, I'm fearless at, the, at this point because I haven't been bitten. So I'm more getting cut, not bitten. Uh, cutting. Yeah, I mean, I've I've got gloves on 99% of the time, so I'm not real worried too much about the cutting, you know. And I and I and I, you know, don't go pushing it either. And I want to say that two times I didn't wear gloves, I did get sliced by zebras. So that's the disadvantage of not wearing gloves. I struggle with that myself because I get so so many times. I want to die without gloves and a hood. Yeah, it's it's always good to have something, at least something on the hands. Uh, for this camp out this last weekend, I picked up some neoprene, not diving gloves, but I think before the summer's over this year, they'll they'll find their way in the water <laughs> as a pair of summer gloves. So a good article. And then also we promised this week we we're going to talk about the book Shadow Divers. Now, Mac, have you had a chance to read that book yet? It's been many years since I've read that one. Okay. On the Yoohoo and the search, trying to identify the name of it. Yes. I think the there is a lesson learned. Exactly. And by using different gases nowadays, it can make a big difference. Yeah, because they were, I, w- I would say, if you had to say what is the equivalent depth that they were diving as far as risk, I mean, that would have to be like somebody today diving four or 500 feet, what they were doing. Well, I remember a long time ago when people dived the Kamloops 250 and a little plus on air. And you can do it, but you are narked. I don't care who you are. Yeah. Oh, certainly. Well, and that's what they were doing, is that they were all being severely narked. And, yeah, like you said, the lessons learned. It's one of those books. If you hadn't read the book, I do think it's a, it's a good book to read. Uh, you know, there's some, some people will, will question some of what's in it. I think there was a little artistic license taken on it, um, but definitely some good lessons to learn. It's, it, it's, it's risky if you... If you have a family member who you don't want to be worried about you when you're diving, it might be good to have them avoid the book. But I, I just like the history behind it, the research they did into the boats that they were looking for, or trying to fit, identify it. It it touched on a little bit of the uh, uh, competition 
mm-hmm. that was going on in the northeast New York, New Jersey coast during that time frame too. Yeah, that was that was kind of interesting. And then uh, uh, the the captain of the boat. You listen to him describe early in the book, and I'm thinking, here's a guy late in his diving career who's got to be 50 or 60, and to find out that he was just 40 was a little shocking. He lived a hard life. Man, did he live a hard life. Yeah, and, and they were they're pretty much talking like you know once you once you hit your mid forties you you're pretty much done in your diving career that was that was an old man you're over your prime. Well, it wasn't much the the hard diving as it was the uh, hard drinking that seemed to go along with it. <laughs> yeah. So and then some good art, some good articles talking about going to the archives and finding information. I I love those political mysteries like that of. You know, understanding why certain things are recorded the way they are. So, you know, the victor gets to write the history, and also whatever was written on paper isn't necessarily true. And if it's an easy way to just, you know, you find a wreck and you call it what you think it is, and you're right until somebody proves you're wrong. There's a lot of people who follow that premise also, and unfortunately it's misnamed a lot of wrecks. We, on the other hand, go the other direction. We're not going to change the name of Max Rec until we're absolutely positively sure. We'll get that that name board this year. Yeah, that's probably what it's going to take. <laughs> I don't know. I, I hope if we get the sand out of it, we'll be able to get enough accurate measurements and you know, be able to, some certainty, come up with a different name and close a mystery. Mm-hmm. If we can get that windlass totally uncovered again and check that valve aspect, I would be surprised if we don't find some kind of really good clue. Yeah, yeah. We need to get a full, you know, a, a better description or some photos of a billet bow. I think that'll help us out also. So you think that's a billet bow? Well, I'm not sure what. You know, I, I really believe the bow split and broken open from what we've seen with the anchor. Mm-hmm. And so when we excavate that area out ahead to be able to see what the port side looks like, if it's still intact, and then try to match that up to the starboard side uh, where it's split, and then get some really good measurements to just see if the, the, the bow got crushed back into the windlass or if it's still you know full length out there because that'll make a difference on the overall length of the ship which will be one of the key measurements and if we could find the rudder that would be a nice thing too oh yeah yeah uh yeah the, the, i think as we get closer to what the boat is i'm, I'm kind of in my mind getting an idea of, of how it went down so i'm kind of betting that that rudder wasn't there when it went down. Uh, it would not surprise me if it is not the ship. There's another debris field somewhere away from that vessel that hopefully someday we can find. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, it seems like time's ticking away because the longer stuff like that gets spread and breaks down and covered by sand, it makes it all, all the much harder. Because you know, one way to prove what it is is by also proving what it's not. Yeah. So if we get some permission from the states and do some some analysis, we've got a we may be able to do a a truly scientific definitive proof, but that's going to take some work. Should be potential. Potential is there. It's going to take a couple of permits and cooperation from the state to do that, though. Now, how long does it take to get a permit? Because what you're talking about is like doing a wood bore. Uh, no, we're we're. Considering a um, metallurgy analysis on some of the nails or spikes that were used in the ship. Okay. There were two ships were in a uh, boatyard being lengthened at the same time. One of them is a neck that's been positively identified. So if we can prove that the same nails were used on both of these wrecks, that basically proves the lineage of this one. Now, how many nails do you have to use to prove that? Part of one from each wreck. Okay. If we get a match on the first. Because yeah. the other thing you know, is, is, not I'm all the nails, is not all the nails were used at the same time. So we've got to hope we get, you know, go to an area that would have been involved in the lengthening and take a nail from that. And then yeah. by looking at the 
trace elements in the metal, they can determine if it came from the same batch of nails. Okay. That makes sense. Just hope that somebody didn't bring a nail from home or, you know, they were using <laughs> scrap nails. <laughs> that one in a million. Okay. Well, make sure that you visit our website, www.scubaobsessed.com. You can also visit us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash scubaobsessed. And make sure you get in, and if you haven't had a chance to do so, check out Access Scuba. And we are on Access Scuba at accessscuba.com forward slash scuba obsessed. We love those five-star reviews on iTunes, so head on over there and write one. And uh, you also TalkShoe. TalkShoe has a review system as well. And then the fan map. I don't know if people have done anything with the fan maps. Make sure you put a pin in the fan map. So you got any last things to pitch before we get to that time of the show? I've got nothing myself, but I know we have uh, our world work, our world underwater coming up. Yeah, yeah that's uh, for the next dive club meeting. So we'll be getting together and carpooling. Yeah, I still haven't looked at my schedule yet to figure out if I'm going or not, but um, I should be able to. I I was listening to Rich Sinewick on his podcast, and he mentioned that he's going to be there three days with his family, so we should be able to bump into him. Okay, well, thanks everybody in the chat room. You know, we had uh, Steve and John and Tara the Dive Mistress, Scuba Doc, great group. As always, and we mystery appreciate Mystery guest number eight. Yeah, mystery guest number eight. Not sure who that was, but you got counted. Okay, here we go. Two scuba divers are scouting for a good river dive location. After some searching, they came upon this great brook. They dove all day and pulled out tons of great treasure. They agreed to dive the location the following weekend. The next weekend, they met and traveled to a spot where they had been before. They walked uh, into the woods and before long came a- upon a brook. One of the divers said to the other, this is the place. The other replied, no, it's not. The first diver said, yes, I recognize the clover growing on the bank on the other side. To which the other man replied, silly, you can't tell a brook by its clover. Unfortunately, yes, the mic was on. Uh, oh, man, we, we called the bad scuba joke for a reason. Should we roll you over in the clover and do it again? <laughs> what, you, what, you want another one? No, that's okay. No, <laughs> we don't want to reboot. Okay, well, until next time, go out there and get wet. And stay safe. And remember, no shipwrecks were harmed in the making of tonight's show. Recording has been completed. Darren, I just sent you an item for next week.